трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, of course, the main Russian holiday is New Year. We don't celebrate Christmas here on Russian Football News. And Christmas isn't for a couple of days anyway, Russian Christmas. Anyway, as per usual, uh, you're joining me, Thomas Giles, on the Russian Football News Podcast. My usual guest is our website editor, Toka Thelade. How are you, sir? Hey, Thomas. Great to be back. Happy New Year. Good stuff. Fancy you. And uh, Andrew Flint our writer on Russian football news after a long stint away I, I don't know what you've been doing in that time Andrew I was going to make a, a joke about going on a training camp but then I thought that might sound slightly offensive so I stopped myself but hello <laughs> no good to be back thanks uh, thanks for having me back again guys um, I was quite jealous of other people taking my place but it's good to be good to be back on the pod and uh, discussing stuff and uh, yeah happy new year to both of you guys good stuff and uh, just 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 for a bit of fun really um, you two are both back home now aren't you as I understand it it depends yeah. on depends on what you call home. Well, your your <laughs> native countries. No, no, no. I'm in Malta. Are you in Malta? Oh. Well, that's just ruined everything. Well, Andrew, you are at least. You saved my bacon. <laughs> I'm back home. I'm I'm back in England. Uh, watched a bit of non-league football um, at the weekend. Classic game in the seventh tier of English football. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm back home, but only for a few more days. Then back to the chilly Icelands of Siberia. Um, which team is that? Is that Altrincham? I take it. Yeah, Altrincham in the um, the Evo Stick Premier League. Um, a cracking 4-3 defeat, and uh, yeah, it was entertaining stuff. So now let's actually move on to some Russian football then, I think, as, as much as I love the non-league football. Anyway, um, so first of all, we're going to discuss the proposals which have been put forward to the Russian Premier League. Now, we all know that the Russian Premier League needs reform, and there's been a lot of talk about whether to expand the Premier League or to actually shorten it from its current situation. So um, a couple of proposals put forward are, so we've got the CSKA president, Yevgeny Gina. He has said he's proposing an expansion to 18 teams along, along with uh, Sergei Pryatkin. That's the, the head of the Russian Premier League. But on the other end of the stick, we've got Leonid Fedun of Spartak, and he's proposing to shorten it to 14. Now, just before I um, we get into a bit more nitty gritty on this, just a quick thing to come to you first, Toka. I mean, your general thoughts on this, this idea. On which of them? Uh, just on generally changing the league in general. Well, I think I think any listener of, of this podcast will know that I'm a huge advocate of, of change almost as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Uh, of course, not completely, but I think lower, lowering the amount of teams in the, in the Premier League is a good idea. I think many of the teams in the league, is they, they're not very competitive at the moment. Every every year we see, see clubs like... Uh, Tom's last season, who who couldn't afford to pay their their players and had to sell everyone, we saw it with Amka uh, this season. It, it looks like they have dodged the bullet, but still very close to having a, a similar situation this season. I think cutting the league down to to fourteen or twelve teams, I think that would be a, a very wise move. It, it it would be a shame because Russia has so many uh, historic football clubs, and Russia is a country that should have a big league. But right now, it's it's simply impossible. I mean, the the depth in the, among the clubs is not very good, and I don't really see how having, say, Arsenal, Tula, or Anji, or I'm kind of current in the current state benefits in anyone, unfortunately. And I, I want to battle you on that point, Toka, but I'm going to save it for later in the pod. Uh, Andrew, just a quick few thoughts from you before we dive into it a bit more. Well, 
yeah, I, I echo Toker's viewpoints um, entirely. It's, it's it's not it's not even really a do we need change. It's just what change we need, as far as I can see. Um, because well, like, yeah, for those same reasons Toker mentions the the sadness at seeing so many clubs fall into such serious difficulty or even worse go out of business. It's something's got to be done. Um, unfortunately, we know that. At, is very slow coming from the Russian Football Union and the Premier League um, in general, but at least there are noises being made about it. A discussion hopefully should be starting in earnest. So, I mean, personally, I, I'm not. In, I, I'm interested to see what you guys think over the course of this pod um, about the two different proposals. But change certainly is needed. That's that's the one absolute um, absolute certainty. So, of course, we have uh, 16 teams in the Russian Premier League first. So, I'm, first of all, I think we'll go into the 14 proposal. That's the one put forward by Leonid Fidun, the uh, Spartak owner. So, the idea is we cut that league, cut the league down from 16 to 14. Now, that sounds like it's shortened matches, but actually, Fidun proposes that we increase the uh, number of matches over the season. So, it would work that you play the um, 14 home and away games. That gives you 28. And then at the end of the season, as you as they do in Scotland... They then split the table into two halves and then they play home and away again. That would increase the number of matches from 30, which are played at the moment, to 38. I mean, Toka, you, you meant, you, going from your thoughts earlier, you seem to be more in favour of the, the 14 proposal. Yeah, I, d- I don't know if I'm in, in favour of having this playoff at the end, though. I'm definitely in favour of, of, of uh, lowering the amount of teams in the league. Uh, the way you want to do it, I mean, I think that can be discussed. And Denmark as well, we have this playoff at the end of the season with a, a regular season and then a playoff for European spots and um, and relegation. And from my perspective, it, it works all right. I mean, I don't know if I'm a big fan of it. I think generally think that the league should be determined with two, two games against each team or three games against each team, and that should be it. But whatever whatever makes the best solution for cutting the amount of teams in the league, really. I mean, it. I don't think it's that important how you how you end up doing it. As I think the most important thing is is lowering the amount of teams, really. And just to go back to your earlier point, Toker, about you mentioned like so, say Arsenal, Tula, and people like that not having any benefit to anyone. My my sort of devil's advocate argument would be that it benefits fans of those clubs. So when you say it doesn't benefit anybody. Who, do you have any one more specific in mind? Do you see what I'm saying? That's true. That's a good point. Of course, it benefits the fans. It benefits the um, the loyal supporters who want to see the club compete at the highest level. My point is, I don't think it develops in football in Russia. It doesn't suit. It doesn't really help the big clubs compete in um, or the clubs competing in Europe. And I don't think it helps the national team either. It's uh, that's that's the level I'm talking about. Of course, it's it, it's super nice for Arsenal fans to be able to see their their team in in the Premier League. But it's not like it's becomes it becomes impossible for them to, to watch Premier League football. I mean, they could still get um, this. They could still get promoted. They would just demand more from them. So perhaps it would also perhaps it would, it, it would make the the lower ranked teams um, develop even further because the competition would be harder. I mean, Andrew, I'm going to get your general view on this, but I want to put it with a little question to you. Really, is that obviously in the next? This isn't obviously that directly connected with the World Cup, but there is a slight connection here about, I remember, I think it's about 18 months ago now, that Leonid Slutsky, former Russian national team manager, of course, says that Russia's not a footballing country. So the argument here is, if you lessen the decrease the number of teams in the Premier League, why do you want to reduce the influence of football 
in the world's largest country where the sport generally struggles in comparison to ice hockey? Mm. Yeah, it's, it is um, it is a valid uh, point in the, in the discussion. And I actually, more or less, I do side with Slutsky on that opinion. Um, but I think, I think really, the, I think one of the main issues is that the quality general quality across the whole league is is not very high. Um, the top teams are, are very strong, and this season in particular, we're seeing good performances in Europe. Um, four teams in the knockouts for the Europa League is a, is a very good showing. Um, but the rest of the league is is really, there's not a huge amount in it um, between the teams. I mean, Skarhabarovsk are struggling, of course, and yet um, they've been very entertaining and uh, at home at least, and they've scored plenty of goals. And so, I mean, I think I think the point is the quality of the league needs to improve. But actually, for me, the more important thing than the number of teams in the league is how strictly they are licensed. Um, well, not as strictly how they are licensed, but how they are actually run in the first place. Um, I think really it's fairly obvious that private ownership needs to be. Uh, it needs to be implemented, encouraged, um, facilitated uh, as much as possible because I think that is the main reason why we're, we're held back. Um, you know, budget cuts, uh, cuts based on local governments and, you know, how much they're willing to spend on their sport teams. You know, you see very little uh, money and effort put into developing players, developing um, academies, uh, having more genuine interaction with with local fans um the big clubs can manage it because they've got a bigger budget but most of the clubs don't so um i think i think the point about lessening the number of teams in the league to 14 is i do think i do think it would improve the overall quality it'll make it more competitive because <clears throat> in the middle of the league you'll then be closer to the relegation zone and it will put a lot more emphasis on more games during the season and I think in the end, that's what fans will want to see. Um, not many fans are going to enjoy being a very low, struggling Premier League side when they could, and this is the benefit of promotion relegation, if they are relegated to the second tier um, and then play within their means, they will end up being more positive, have more more momentum about them. So I think on balance at the moment, I'm in favour of lessening it to 14 because the quality should go up. The thing is, I mean, we'll come on to um, Guinea's proposal later, but he says that the argument against going to the 14 is he compared it to... I'm not sure why he did this, and this is the point I was going to make. I'm not quite sure why he did this. He compared it to England, and he compared it to Manchester United versus Burnley, who I think played out a two-all draw. Was that a couple of weeks back, Andrew? Uh, Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, so he says that if if you have more teams, you get more shock shock results like that. I mean, I'm not sure what what he's been doing because Burnley are actually seventh in the league. It's not like they're down at the bottom of the table. But he says that you, it's good to have, to have the sort of the big gap because it allows the shock results. That's what he seems to be implying. Now, I don't know what both of yeah. you think, to, but to me that makes absolutely no sense because in Russia the gap, we say the gap's big in the Premier League, but arguably it's bigger in the Russian Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's a load of nonsense, I'll be honest. He's... he's... Um, he's not making much sense there. I actually don't disagree with a lot of what he does say in general um, about these sort of proposals, but that just makes no sense because for for every shock result, you're going to have six, seven, eight fairly mediocre, fairly uninteresting games, which are just not going to attract the fans in. And in the end, that is what you want to do. You want to get the fans in. 
not just for the finances, but for the you know the reputation of the league. Um, so no, I, I don't agree with him there at all. Uh, Toker, I guess you um, think the same. And just just to add to my the earlier point, by the way, um, just to emphasise that Gina would um, doesn't like the idea because it takes some of the the lesser clubs out, and therefore there wouldn't be so many shocks. Just to sort of emphasise that point. Yeah, I mean. If we took out the lesser clubs, also there wouldn't be as many predictable games, you could argue. I mean, for every Arsenal Tula victory against Senate, we have 20 times they lose to Senate and Lokomotiv and Siskan and so on. So, I mean, yeah, it's pretty fun once it happened, but is it really worth it? No, I definitely don't think it's worth it. I mean, not only do we have a lot of predictable games, we also have a lot of Arsenal Tula against uh, Khabarov's games, which... For most viewers, apart from a handful in, in Tula and Khabarovsk, is, is a quite boring game and not really something that draws people to the stadiums or to the televisions or anything. So, no, I think he he's definitely um, mistaken in this one. And just again, with the, the, the we talk a lot about players earning too much money in Russia. Now, I mentioned earlier about how they would split the championship into two separate segments at the end of the season, therefore get more games. Now, an argument that um, sorry that Fidun put forward is that Russian players earn more than a lot of uh, European counterparts, for example, not necessarily England, but I'm talking about sort of the, the smaller leagues, if you like. They earn more than those players, but they play a lot less. I mean, Andrew, to me to then increase the game sort of makes sense. I don't, I'm not saying I agree with this, by the way. It seems very impractical, which I'm sure we'll get onto later. But you can sort of see his point there about mm. players earning more but playing less. Yeah, I think, um, well, if the, if the league did get reduced to 14 uh, teams, I, uh, I know it's going to sound strange. I kind of agree and disagree with the idea of having the split league for the last section of the season. Um, I'm so conditioned to, as most people are, because it's very unusual in most countries around the world, we're so conditioned to seeing, like Toka said, you play each each team twice or maybe three times if it's a small number of, in the league, and that and then that's it. But I think we're dealing with a very different league, a very different country, um, so we have to come up with a different solution. Um, the quality would go up with lower teams, but you would be left with even fewer fixtures. And I think... I think actually it would be a good thing to have. Um, I don't. I wouldn't use it to decide the actual league title. Um, I would use it to decide the European places. Um, sorry, sorry, so, Andrew. Sorry, very quickly, Andrew. But you, you can't have it one way and not the other. Do you see what I mean? If you're going to split the league, you have to decide the title on it as well as European places, don't you? Unless you unless the club didn't play the final fourteen games. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you don't have to. You just simply say this is what's going to happen. Um, and the teams from, you know, just off the top of my head, say uh, second to um, seventh, for example, um, or even second to ninth. I mean, that's going a bit extreme, but um, you can have six teams in the playoff and the reward for winning the title outright, not just for winning the title, but also you get, um, you know, an extra week or two rest at the end of the season. I don't know. Um, but something to increase the number of games that way would make sense. Um I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really hard one, basically. It's, it's, none of them are absolutely perfect, but I do think that um, I do think that uh, well, the number needs to change, basically, because at the moment it's not working. It's simple as that. I can take a bit. I want to move on to the eighteen section in a minute, but just sort of look a bit more at this fourteen section. You touched on it earlier about the Danish uh, 
league. You talk, you said there was a split in that. Am I right? Think that, or did I mishear that? No, no, that's true. There's 14, 14th club in the Danish league, and after the first uh, 26 games, I mean, two, two, two games against each team, it's split into a championship group and two relegation groups. So. Do you think? Do you because I'm just thinking about the size of the countries more than anything. We've mentioned obviously Russia, the biggest country in the world. Denmark is obviously comparatively very small. So do you think that, um, like I said, Scotland's another example again, comparatively small country. Do you think that Russia is too big to have that split screen? I don't think it has anything to do with the the geographical size of the country. I mean, I, I think it, it 100% depends on the on the strength of the football teams. And the fact is that the, the clubs in the Danish league earn, earn more money from tickets and they earn more money from a TV revenue than most of the Russian clubs do. So it's just a more, in many ways, a more competitive league. And that's the problem with, with the Russian league. I mean, you also have to remember that just lowering the amount of teams, it won't fix all the problems, of course. I mean, Russian clubs still has, and I believe it was Fidun who, who touched upon this as well, I mean, Russian clubs still have so many problems with uh, the low revenue, and it's these things that just makes the league so uneven amongst the top and, and the bottom teams, and these are the things they have to fix. Um, I think splitting it uh, halfway through the season or at some point, I think it works fine. I don't think it's it's something to to be negative about. I mean, as long as the teams get to keep the points and everything, I think that's a, it's a fine solution, and... I don't think there's any reason why Russia shouldn't or, or couldn't be couldn't do it. So let's move on to the the 18 section now. And just before, so obviously we're at 16 at the moment. So now we're jumping the other way, increasing by two instead of decreasing by two. Um, Priyadkin, who I've mentioned earlier, is in favour of this. And just um, just a bit of a long long winded quote, but I think it's worth reading out. I'm just going to read it for the benefit of the listeners and for of course Andrew and Toka. Um, he says, uh, I would like to have more teams in the RPL, but sadly there are too few stable clubs, and the league doesn't earn as much as it would like to. Of course, it would be great to at least to earn at least two hundred million dollars from the broadcasting rights. That would allow us to give seven to ten million dollars each to each of the uh, lower table clubs, and that's half of some of their budgets. The Western leagues earn the bulk of their money through TV rights. The second biggest revenue source is supporters' money, and then sponsorship. Our model is different. We get most money from sponsors, then from TV rights, and then from the supporters. Still, when the clubs built new stadiums, the situation changed. Look at Zenit, Spartak, Siska, and Rubin. Top matches attract twenty to 40,000 people, and it's good money. I mean, Andrew, we've just mentioned it just before there, about the um, Toka touched on it with the, the structure of the, the league and where the money comes from. And to me, what Piyadkin says there is that increasing the 18, increasing to 18 essentially allows for bigger TV rights, which, of course, would bring more money in. But personally... I'm not quite sure where he gets that theory from. What do you think? Well, I think um, the logic would make sense in in other countries where basically TV money is a is a bigger deal. He even himself in that quote mentions, you know, there are TV deals of 200 million. Well, I mean that that's a tiny tiny slice of the English Premier League, but then that's a that's a freak of nature that TV deal. But you just I don't think there would be a massive difference. There would be obviously a higher price because more games are being played. But would it really make? You know, you've still got to you've still got to stage those games. You know, it doesn't it doesn't come free for a club to to play a game. They've got to pay pay all their staff. They've got to pay for travel and all all the usual costs. So I'm not sure that in itself would make enough of a difference to the overall financial health of the league. Um, although 
he does make a very valid point that now that there are so many, or will be at least so many top, top class stadia around the country, and they're going, relatively speaking, underused with, at the moment, what, 14 games or possibly 15 with a Russian Cup game. But, you know, it's, that's it for the entire year. You look at most really, really big stadia around the world, and they're, well, effectively multi-purpose nowadays. It's not financially viable not to make them that. Um, but the football games themselves, you want to make the most out of it, don't you? And the more games that are played, then financially, I mean, forget the structure of the league and everything else, financially for the stadium, to make it worthwhile, more games played, is generally a better thing. Um, but I think he may be overestimating the potential of a TV deal in Russia because I just don't see it as being... Uh, unless a private investor comes in and says, right, I want to um, I want to just out of the goodness of my heart put more money into the game, but that's going to be an individual one-off and I don't think that's likely to happen. So the theory is there, but I just don't think it would work in Russia, that's all. Toka, surely you'd go along with that. Yeah, Andrew's a very smart man. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not going to expand on that. You're just going to call Andrew very smart, or? Yeah, he is. I, man. I think he he took the words right out of my mouth. So yeah, I gotta I gotta give it to him. Sometimes he he makes miracles. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I mean, Sergei Galitsky, of course, highly coveted uh, owner of Krasnodar, also apparently in favour of this 18-team expansion. So, Toko, what would your thoughts be on, on that one? Or, And generally, just to round off the topic for both of you, which I'm, I'm not sure we're doing early, but we've talked about 18, we've talked about 14. Why not just keep it at 16? Because reforms need to be elsewhere. But first, firstly, just your thoughts on the 18. I think... I'd like to hear from Galitsky and, and, and Gina exactly which teams it is from the FNL they think could make the Premier League so much better. I mean, I look at the table and I think, OK, perhaps Krilja Sovjetov could, could make a little difference. I mean, that's, after all, a football city and, and they do have a, a decent fan base. But generally, there's, there are not really any teams in the, in the FNL who can actually strengthen the league. And it, I, I don't know what they imagine to happen. We'll just get even more teams in the league will be... More uneven. I think it's it, it doesn't really seem like they have any realistic sense when when they suggest this, which, which is um, yeah. It's, I, I think it's strange, man. I, I'd really like to hear which teams it is they they think would make the league so much better and more entertaining. I mean, Andrew, just coming to you because you're all sort of our regular Fenel man, if you like. I mean, this would obviously have a big impact, and we've spoken about restructuring the Fenel before on the podcast a couple of months back, just for the, the listeners. If, mm-hmm. if you just Google, uh, if you look on our podcast history or just Google uh, Fenel podcast or something like that, I'm sure it'll come up. But Andrew, you know, we've spoken about this before, and this would obviously have a big impact on uh, Fenel reform. So, and as Toka mm-hmm. says, two teams coming up from the Fenel would just. I don't want to say, don't want to speak badly, but it would just add more nonsense into the league, if you like, just make it really uncompetitive. Well, I mean, the short answer is yes. I, I can't, I can't really deny that there are there are some good teams in the Fenel, but the the fact is, there's no consistency in the league. I honestly believe it's one of the most cutthroat cutthroat leagues in the world, um, and you, you know, one year you could have 
Um, I mean, Farkel, Voronish, for example, um, last year, the year before, they were right up near the playoffs, if not in them. This season, they're second bottom of the table. Um, you know, it, it almost feels like these clubs that they have a good season too. They, they're given backing by their local government. And then if they don't achieve promotion, the local government thinks, ah, well, you know what? We've had enough. We can't keep doing this. And they fall back down again. So the clubs that would go up, it's, it's very temperamental whether they would survive or not. Um, but what I would say is, and, and this is actually something that um, I was, well, our, our writer James Nichols was mentioning um, earlier today, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, is that really we've been talking all about the Premier League reform. I think actually, if anything, it's below the Premier League that is going to be more important. So you actually mentioned, Thomas, a moment ago, you know, we've said 14, we've said 18, why not keep it 16? Um, and I suppose, in a way, I, I don't really mind that as long as the rest of the league structure is uh, is reformed. And the, the number of Premier League uh, professional clubs, sorry, in the whole of Russia is far too many. Um, you know, the evidence is clear. So many clubs go out of business so regularly. Um, so if you had the Fenel, like we said, expanded but put into regional divisions, what it might mean is you know, you'd then possibly need more promotion places. Now, would you simply keep it at 16 and simply say the relegation zone is now five or six teams, which is half a, half a division, um, which would make it very competitive throughout the whole season, uh, or at least put a lot of emphasis on games, or do you expand it to accommodate that? Personally, I, I'm, I'm actually torn. I really am torn. Um, but in terms of improving the Premier League, I think... Krulia, like Toka says, certainly. Um, uh, Yenisei have been strong for a few years. Uh, and actually, I think Dynamo, um, pardon me, St. Petersburg have potential because of where they are. The uh, only the thing, like sorry, sorry, the only thing I'd say with that, obviously you know me as a big St. Petersburg fan, the only thing I'd say with that is their stadium is tiny and Zenit already has a massive monopoly on the city. Well, I mean, they're... they're, they're um, they would be able to use, I would suggest... Um, you know, if fixtures were arranged accordingly, just simply use the Petrovsky when um, when Tosna were not playing there. Um, I think the answer is is right there in the Petrovsky, um, potentially. I mean, I've, you know, you've got to work it out. What are Tosna going to be doing in the future? Are they actually going to build a stadium in Tosna or do they even want to? Um, but, no, I mean, it, your point, your question was right. Um, I think there's, it's debatable how much you'd be able to to improve the Premier League, the bottom end at all. It's more about how well run the clubs are. And like we've said so many times, but it remains a valid point, um, the public ownership is is the problem, really, because that's what makes it so unpredictable. And Toker, I mean, I'll come to you as well on this, Andrew. Um, I can't remember where I read it now. I think it was called Voice Box, a, a Russian website. And he was there's a writer on there going through the proposals. And he said, don't underestimate the significance of reforms being put forward by owners of privately owned clubs. And he says that although we're not in an ideal situation, of course, with lots of state-run clubs in uh, in Russian football, the fact that these private clubs are offering these reforms, it's generally just trying to make the rich richer. Would, would you go along with that, Toka? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I don't really agree with, with the suggestions made now, but... I think it's generally. I think it's a good thing that these private owners try to take some responsibility and try to push for some kind of development. As as we all know, the the Russian football union isn't doing isn't doing the best job in the world. So, 
I think I, I like that these guys try to take some responsibility and try to come up with some suggestions and, because Russia really needs a debate about how to about the, its whole football structure, really. So I think it's I'm generally positive about suggestions like these coming from. But I mean, I don't I don't have to agree with them, but I think it's I think it's a very important discussion and and I hope that. Um, yeah, that more people and more involved players and coaches and officials will uh, will participate. So in the end, Russia can find a, a good solution. And then just to sort of end this, <laughs> sort of a weird question. Question I wanted to put it to both of you, Andrew. I'll come to you first. Um, if you had a choice between either the eighteen or the fourteen, I mean, I, I think I have pretty much an idea of what you're both going to say. But which would you go for? Uh, I think on balance it would be the fourteen, um, and I would say I'd say that with a caveat that the, like I say, the funnel must be reformed along with it because, um, you know, however much we want to focus on the top top level, it is fed by um, the clubs below it and the players that come from it as well. Um, so, if more stability can be brought throughout the whole league, league pyramid, I'd say fourteen teams would be would be better. If we're going to change, um, how exactly it's organised, I'm still open for persuasion now. But on the balance of that, I'd say 14 over 18 for me. And Toka, I, th- I imagine you'd go for the same. Yeah, 14 over 18 as well. Okay, that was nice and easy. And of course, we talk about the uh, the Russian Football Union. Of course, we really need to mention that um, Vitaly Mukko, of course, has uh, stepped down as the head of the Russian Football Union and has also stepped down from his uh, place on the Russian uh, World Cup organising uh, committee. I mean, Andrew was linked with the doping scandal. He's been banned from the Olympics for life uh, by the International Olympic Committee. Uh, he's planning to appeal to uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport against this ban, hence his stepping down from the uh, the Russian Football Union and the World Cup board. However, it's still worth mentioning that as his, in his role as Deputy Prime Minister, he will still have a lot of control over the World Cup because he will see um, he will be prizing over budgets and infrastructure and things like that. But Andrew, generally, your thought your thoughts on on this? Well, I think the first thing that struck me was when we saw this come out was that it was a, a he's stepping down temporarily um, from his role at the um, uh, in the uh, the Russian Football Union. And I find it just. Um, I find it mad. I will suspend my work at the Russian Football Union for six months. Um, now, very simple bit of maths. He said that in December, which means in May he'll come back on. And what happens in June? The World Cup begins. So, quite frankly, it's a. I mean, it's just it's pathetic. I mean, if you're going to step down, why are you stepping down? You were assuming directly related related to your ban, therefore on a moral level. Um, well, I'd say it goes the other way. If you're coming back into the role just in time for I mean, what does it matter to him if he's not in the role before the World Cup um, actually appears? When all the spotlight is on Russia, he'll still be in the limelight. Um, his role within the the you know the Olympic doping ban, um, everything I've read so far, and all of all of the, the evidence that's come out of it, I cannot believe that he is clean um, in in this at all. And I I support his ban uh, from the Olympics, and personally. I would be much, much more comfortable if he was forced to permanently resign from from football within Russia because it's going to keep it's going to keep tarnishing Russia's name all the way in the run up to and during the World Cup because that's going to be a juicy story for headlines around the world. 
Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I almost feel like we're being cheated here. You know, Mukko needs to be punished for what he's done, uh, and yet he's, he's he's not actually effectively being punished. Uh, just to mention for any for any lawyers listening that um, of course there are no there is no evidence that Mukko himself was directly implicated in the um, the doping scandal. It was just about the the sports ministry. Just making that clear. I mean, Toka, your thoughts on this resignation? I mean, Andrew makes a very strong case there. Yeah, in the end, I don't think it, it really matters that much. As as with so many other things, it's it's a cosmetic thing. Now Mukko can say he's not involved anymore, but obviously we all know who's he'll keep uh, pulling the strains and as Andrew explained it's not like he's he's gone permanently he'll surely he'll he'll return at some point he even says that himself so yeah I think in the end it doesn't really make that big a difference it, it'll it'll probably make things a little bit easier for the organizing committee and for, for Russia but in in the end it won't change anything so like I said what do you think Andrew and because like I said, he will still have influence in his role as deputy prime minister, and as Toka says, he'll yeah. he'll still be pulling the strings on that front, won't he? Well, I mean, precisely. I mean, we we all know how Russian politics works. Um, uh, it, even if you're not officially in office, there are ways to still maintain the same, if not even greater, power behind the scenes. Yeah, it's you know, it's also cosmetic. I like I like Toka's word there, cosmetic. That is exactly what it is. It's all for show, and that's how a lot of you know administration runs in this country. So. Um, yeah, I've, it's, I, I just I feel cheated. Basically, I, I, I feel I feel a bit cheated. I want clean answers, complete answers, um, one way or the other. This is well, it's cosmetic, and we need more than that. It's worth mentioning, of course, that uh, Mr. Mukko is very friendly with the uh, Russian president uh, Vladimir Putin. So <laughs> it'd be interesting to see how that one develops with the World Cup coming up. But um, just going to a, a more on-field topic now, perhaps a bit more jovial after that sort of rather serious thing and uh, we're going to talk about the transfer window because of course the the european transfer window is open but it's worth mentioning that russian transfer window doesn't open till the 24th of january and will close on the 24th of february now of course that's um, pretty strange because we've already seen some transfers go through but they haven't so for example uh, rostov signed uh, bjorn sigurdarsson today from uh, norwegian club Mulder, but uh, that transfer hasn't been officially ratified if you like because the window isn't open but um we thought we'd do a bit of a different twist here and uh it's come it comes from toka so toka will take the credit for this we've decided to say if we're a foreign club owner which we all aspire to be obviously which player from the russian premier league will we sign and toka i'm going to kick off with you seeing as this was your fantastic idea yeah well i think the obvious choice if if you're a good club if you're a club with uh, just a a good amount of money, I'd obviously buy Quinton Promise. I mean, in my opinion, he's by far the best, the best player in Russia. And pretty soon, when the um, when the RFN Top 50, where we rank the 50 best players in Russia, I have a feeling that um, that claim will be backed up. So, yeah, definitely Quinton Promise. Apart from him, I'd, uh, um, without a doubt, I'd also look at the Milanchuk, um, the Milanchuk twins, especially Alexei Milanchuk. Of course, I think he he's a very promising player. He, he's a huge talent. He has been amazing this season and yeah i'd definitely give him a, a go at a at a big club in the in a big league just before i come to you andrew actually because i thought somebody might mention Miranchuk and you sort of kicked it off here toka what i would say is that signing him in january i'm, t- I'm not talking about him in general because obviously we quite like to move abroad as we're always saying on this podcast we want the russian players to leave russia and go and test themselves 
But signing a young player like that in January and potentially doesn't play, why not? Would you say actually perhaps wait till the summer to sign him? I think this is. Um, a, oh, sorry. I, I think there's an advantage in signing him now, actually, because you could give him a, a six-month period to be slowly integrated in the squad. He could start to learn about the life in a new country, and then by the summer he could actually become an important member of the squad. So I, I, I actually think it's, a, it's a, an advantage to sign him now, give him some time to adapt before it's, it gets really serious. Andrew, you were going to jump in there? Well, yeah, I mean, I was, all, all I was going to say is that I actually think, I, I see Taker's point, it does make sense to help them settle in. The only only thing I would say differently is just that being uh, being before the World Cup, of course, um, I wouldn't want to encourage the, you know, the Miranchuks and the Golovins, the Zagoyevs to move before the World Cup because just because of the uncertainty of exactly how much they'll play in the long term for their career. Absolutely. I completely agree with Toka. Um, winter transfers actually do make some sense. Um, but in this exact year, for the reasons I've just stated, I think it would be better at this stage not to to go in the winter. I'd, I would wait till the summer. Um, Come but, on, Andrew, um, you're, you're the club owner. You don't have to care about the World Cup. You don't have to be the agent. <laughs> oh, no, no. no, no, I, no I take your point. If, sorry, sorry. actually, I, I should have uh, should have answered that as the question was asked. As a club owner, yes, absolutely. No, as a club owner, absolutely, I would. Um, yeah, you, I agree with you on that point. From I was, I was thinking more um, from the player's uh, perspective. As a player, it wouldn't be the wisest choice. But as a club owner, absolutely, yes. We all know owners don't care about players, Andrew. Come on. Well, um, it depends if your name is Alexander Popov um, or everybody else. Um, no, actually, no, he doesn't care about the two-man players either, but <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> so, so let's go with your choice if you're a club owner. We've had Toka mention Promise. I'm assuming you were going to mention Promise as well, but is there is there anybody else out there? I'm sure I'm, I can guess one yeah, name. I mean, you know, Promise, Promise is, um, is a fairly obvious obvious choice, and I, he, he's, a, he's a natural player, and he really could fit most teams. I mean, I, I often hear a lot of clubs saying this player is ideal for our club um, because this, this and this. And in the end, it's like, well, if he's a quality player, he should be able to fit into most clubs. And promise is that. Um, I mean, Smoloff is the, the other obvious um, senior player. And he's the, the thing about Smoloff is that we've heard so many rumours about him. Um, but they've only ever seemed to have been rumours. I mean, West Ham apparently have made an approach, um, but we, every time we've heard about it, it's not really come to much. And I'm starting to wonder why why, why we're not hearing um, more concrete, definite bids and you know, genuine progress along these lines. He's running out of time, basically. Um, you know, he's 27 this year and you know, he's, he's in his prime and he's in his home World Cup. I, I support him staying in the winter because it would be, again, from his point of view, um, you know, it would be suicide really to risk being out of form for the World Cup in the summer. But Smoloff certainly, um, for me personally, I'd really, really love to see uh, Alexander Golovin play in Europe because I, I, I think Marantruk, Alexei Marantruk is a fantastically gifted player. But I think mentality-wise, maturity-wise, I actually think Golovin has a bit more, um, a bit more of a rounded package. If you're if you're a club buying the player, he's he's still only 21. I mean, for some reason, he seems older than that to me. But he's he's takes controls of games. 
of games very, very confidently. Um, and he really could do a, a great job for a lot of clubs um, in a, well, I say, slightly less fashionable position. He's not a winger. He's not a goal scorer. He doesn't even register a huge number of assists, but he's such a good facilitator in the middle. So for me, I'd pick out Golovin and Smoloff as, as fairly obvious answers uh, to complement Toka's choices. A couple of players that I'd uh, written down, just for the both of you, I'll get both your thoughts on these. I'd written down Fernando at Spartak, of course, very influential in, in that title decision, uh, title decision, a title win last year. And then another one I wrote down, which I wasn't quite sure about putting down, was Luka Djordjevic, of course, at Arsenal Tula. Now, one part of me thinks, yes, he's in good form, get him now. But I also think if you moved him out of Russia now, in the form he's in, and then he, would he suddenly lose that form? Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. Um, I'd, I'd stay away from from Djordjevic, to be honest. I mean, he is in good form, but we have also seen him fail at at decent clubs like Twente and Sampdoria in in just the, the last couple of years. So yeah, that was the that was I'd, the other thing I was playing yeah, on as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see more from him before I sign him. A guy I would sign though, Kvikvelia uh, from from Lokomotiv. I think he's a really good central defender and. I'm quite surprised that he he still plays in Russia. I'm quite surprised that uh, that Rumi Kassan suddenly couldn't find any use for him. And um, I think I think he he could actually suit quite a, a good amount of teams because he is relatively quick. He's relatively good on the ball for a central defender. So and he's also a, a brilliant defender. I, I think um, you see many defenders these days where it seems like play being good with the ball is more important than defending. But I think Quick Valley can actually do everything. So. Yeah, he's another another player I'd definitely keep my eye on. Yeah, I mean, I remember James uh, singing the praise of Quebec Valley. I think it was Quebec Valley uh, on the last pod. Another one I wrote down, Andrew, which I'm not sure you'd be too pleased about, is uh, Eric Bicfalvi. Oh, don't say that, please. Please. <laughs> yeah, Bicfalvi, he's got the experience, and he's been in, in, in quite a few countries, been in China even. Um, and... Uh, I mean, okay. If I'm being brutally honest, and I'm not saying it's just because I want, I'm greedy and I want to keep him in Yekaterinburg, but he. Wants you're an owner policy. of a foreign club, Andrew. You're not in. You're not chairman of Ural. You're chairman of somewhere else. That's what I'm trying to do. What, what I'm genuinely trying to do is put myself in that mind of a foreign owner, and you'd think, okay, you look at his CV, and that would make you think, okay, this guy can. Uh, he can cope with a change of culture, no problem. And he does speak, he speaks fluent Russian very well um, in a relatively short space of time. And that will be a major plus, but he doesn't have any pace. And he quite frequently, um, he, I know it's a strange thing I noticed about him, but he draws an incredible number of fouls. And, and honestly, I put that down to him simply not having enough pace to get away from players. And he's a brilliant mind on the ball. Um, and he's he's got a great eye for goal as well. So you know that's always going to be fairly obviously a tempting factor. As you you know if you're you're looking for a cheap um, option to give you give you a few goals from midfield, then Bickfowl is a good option. Um, but he, you know he's he's 29 as well, so he's he's getting on a little bit. So I'm I mean yes, he would be an option. He would be an affordable option. I very much doubt or I would be able to demand. A great deal more than two or three million euros at most um, for him, and that's that's fantastic value for a player of his quality. Um, but I don't think players, I don't honestly just don't think Odal are going to be a side that, that that foreign owners will even notice um, 
I'll be amazed. I certainly haven't seen any scouts when I've been in Newcastleburg. Um, it's not the most glamorous location. So uh, I don't think he's likely to go. But if somebody looked at him, he uh, a lot worse players they could pick up. Um, but I uh, definitely agree with you on Fernando. Uh, I think he's absolutely fantastic player. Really, really top class. Uh, and of course, he's played in Italy as well. So um, he would definitely be an attractive option, I think. Yeah, Toker, I was going to ask you about players from the lower echelons of the league but Andrew mentions there that foreign owners probably not going to look at that type of player in the foreign league and I would tend to agree with them and agree with you as we're all foreign owners for this five minute period because let's be honest to go from the lower Premier League to Europe it's a very difficult step and it's going to be incredibly hard for a player to pull that off Yeah and yet we saw Sinchenko moved to Manchester City and we just saw Vladimir Gabalov move to Club Brugge. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, signing a player from... If, if you're in a big league, at least, signing a player from, say, Ufa or one of the smaller clubs, it's, I mean, it's very hard to find someone you can use. And also, it's, it's just such a massive step from, from one of the smaller clubs in Russia to, to a big league in Europe. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's, uh, it's quite risky and... It will be interesting to see how um, how Gabalov does and, and if Shinchenko can actually uh, make a name for himself somewhere. I doubt it will be at City, though. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Gabalov there, and I was going to mention him as well. I mean, I saw, I think it was you who tweeted the other day, Toka, that this is a very risky move for him. First move abroad at the age of 36. Yeah, and it, it, it's risky for Club Brugge as well because even though he is 36 and has played in the Premier League for ages now, he, he doesn't have that much experience from the highest level, actually. I mean, I know he has played tons of, of Premier League games, but he only has a handful of uh, games on the national team. He hasn't really played in the European football that much. So they get, a, they, get a, they get a good goalkeeper. There's no doubt about that at all. I mean, he can still do the job, and he, he did do some... Uh, he made some great performances for Arsenal, but I mean, when I, if if I look at a guy that age, I would expect a bit more experience-wise than Gabulov has. And Andrew, just before I come to you on Gabulov, I wanted to ask Toker about um, Bjorn Sigurdarsson, who uh, I think played in Denmark, right? He played for FC Copenhagen. Yeah, so he played at Wolves as well, so I've, I've seen a bit of him. Uh, Rostov have signed him on a 3.5 year contract with a one year option which to me I'm thinking how on earth have they afforded that so uh, off, off before the podcast you said to me he's not very good so do you think this is a good move for Rostov because you say he's not very good but perhaps at this sort of level maybe he'd be okay well I mean I only saw him for for a season when he played in Denmark and I remember I think he had a record of one goal in 14-15 matches something like that and here, here he's, uh, he's regarded as one of the big flops of FC Copenhagen. Yes. And it, it was seen as a, a mistake to sign him. When I look at the rest of his career, he, he has never really made that many goals. He, he did score a, a fair amount in, in Norway. But I think the fact that he, he moved to Rostov is probably because that they don't really have that many other options. I mean, Rostov, they don't have a lot of money. So they have to go out and find someone cheap. And then they just hope that he can do the trick. Which I have to be honest, I, I doubt he can. I think I, don't, I definitely don't think he'll last four years at Rostov as um, or three and a half years as contract lasts. And yeah, I don't see him becoming a big success. I mean, Andrew, I want to start, move on to a few, couple of rumors just to finish off the transfer topic. But just your thoughts on those two transfers, 
with Gobbleup and um, I've forgotten his name now. Sigurdarsson. There we go. Well, I mean, uh, Sigurdarsson. I've I, I've just I've only I've heard of his name. I, ca- I can't really comment on his quality, but judging on what you guys have said, you've seen a little bit of him at least. Uh, his scoring rate is not great. Again, it's another. It is another slightly surprising transfer for Rostov because Rostov had made it. Uh, Sverre uh, Ingerson, for example, I was surprised they managed to afford uh, signing um, signing him um, last year. So, yeah, how they're financing that, I'm not sure. But um, I, I don't know how much he's likely to improve them. Alexander Bukharov has shown flashes of not exactly brilliance, but um, of being useful. And yeah, perhaps another body is, is good so they can have a slightly bigger squad. Gabulov, I find a very, very bizarre transfer. I cannot honestly, for the life of me, understand what what earth Brugger saw um, saw in him that they couldn't have seen in a more, well, a, a player that they know more about. Um, it, his form hasn't been outstanding this season. Um, he's been an experienced, but that's about as much I could say about him. He's, he's, I find it very odd. Um, and for Gabulov himself, I mean, not that I think he should be anywhere near the national team squad simply because of his age. Not, I don't have anything against him personally, obviously, but there are a lot better younger keepers that should be in the squad. But he has been in the national team squad um, in recent months. Why would he risk um, not being in a World Cup squad um, six months away from the tournament itself? I find it just very strange all round, to be honest with you. And actually, I've just realised that another transfer that I wanted to mention was the loan of uh, Podbirozhkin uh, to Rubin from Krasnodar. Just a quick thought on that from you, Toker, and then I'll get Andrew's thought on it as well. It makes sense. I mean, he obviously needs playing time, and Rubin Kassan desperately needs some quality in the team. So it makes sense. It's it's a bit funny. I mean, if before the season when Rubin Kassan spent a lot of money, if someone had said that they would purchase a player who couldn't make the team at Krasnodar, I don't think that many people would have believed them. But it does make sense for, for all parties right now. Um, so it, it's a good transfer, I think. You'd back that up as well, Andrew, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I actually am surprised he's not been a, if not a regular, at least featured more for Krasnodar. I think he has the quality to do that in the future. And I think that's what Krasnodar are recognising in this. Send him out on loan, get him some game time, get him a bit more confidence. And um, he's, he's not going to make the World Cup squad, so I don't think there's any risk on his part from that point of view. So, um, yeah, going to a team like Rubin, who have some quality players there, um, a good stadium, good manager, I think it's a good move all round, absolutely. So just to finish off, always a bit of fun this. Uh, Andrew, you seem to be quite the, the fan of transfer rumours. I might have just made that up, but, but I'm going to take it that you are. Yeah. So are there any interesting rumours that you've heard on the grapevine? Well, I mean, it's not going to be a, a, a shock to, to most people, but the one I find most interesting is about Smoloff and the fact that it's West Ham who have shown the most interest. They've, as far as I understand, they have actually made a bid. Um, I think two bids, in fact. And the fact that Shalimov was so open about saying to, to him in public, look, you know, it's, it's up to you, effectively. So it does, it does seem like there is real interest there. But why West Ham? I, I'm surprised by this because... The likes of Borussia Dortmund last year were were looking at him, and that may have been a step too high. Um, but Smoloff is not going to cost. I can't believe he would cost more than 20, 20 million euros at maximum, and I'd be surprised if it's that much actually. Um, which in today's market, madly, is an absolute bargain. 
um, so many clubs who need a quick fix in the winter transfer window, they think, usually you think you can't get value. Well, Smalls would represent perfect value. So mm. I'm surprised a bigger, uh, higher profile clubs haven't made slightly more concrete um, bids for him. But that rumour, I don't know how much to believe in that because it's gone quiet fairly quickly. But still, um, that one at the moment looks like the most concrete option for him. The only thing I would say, just before I come to you, Tiger, on that rumour about Smolov to West Ham, is that it can't really go bad for him. Because he's going to get in the World Cup squad anyway, as you mentioned. And, I mean, if he if he has a bad six months at West Ham, he comes back to Russia, worst situation, gets a move in Russia. Yeah, no, you make a, you do make a good point. He's He is about the most guaranteed spot in the squad. He's, he's not going to lose that. Um, I mean... A move to Europe has got to happen pretty soon. Um, I don't think he should need to worry about that. He's going to get offers, or should so should get offers in the summer, and especially after the Home World Cup, where he's the perfect chance to put himself in the shot window. I mean, could it go badly? Well, I mean, David Moyes is my major reservation. Um, he's a he's a soul destroying character at the best of times. Just ask James Nichols; he'll tell you the same. Um, but um, from a chance of ruining his World Cup yes I agree it was low risk but I, I do think he could do a lot better and I think a lot of other teams if they open their eyes could realise that they could get good value with him I feel like James is sort of on this podcast because we've mentioned him so many times I just sort of feel like he's in the corner <laughs> with us but um, I mean Toker any, any rumours that you've heard I heard many rumours and most of them were ridiculous to be honest earlier today I read that Sam Italia Italian media were writing that Arsenal and Inter were interested in uh, Leo from from Ahmad Grosny, which I thought was well. That's quite amusing. <laughs> I mean, he, he's uh, he's a decent player in Russia, but nothing more than that. So we always have these stupid rumors where 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 media from around Europe make basically make up rumors about players based in Russia um, out of thin air. Really, I mean. We also have tons of rumours of Krishito going to Turkey, and I just can't see it happening. I that mean, happens every uh, year and every, every window. Single, it's, every what? single year we see so many Russia-based players linked with the most random clubs, and it never materialises. I mean, I'm sure we'll see rumours of Popov going to Turkey as well soon, and a lot of Krishito's fans will get really excited, and then at the end of the season he'll still play for Spartak. And it, it just happens every transfer window, and I don't know, I don't understand where it comes from. The, the one I, strange. Yeah, the one I've heard is uh, Rigoni, of course, the Zenit player who only signed in the summer, moving to Everton. That, that seems a bit of a strange one to me. But I think we could go about these rumours all day, and generally, as Toga says, they are a bit stupid, but they're quite fun to discuss at the same time. But we'll leave it there, and then, of course, we'll leave the podcast there as well. But, of course, before we go, we're going to go and promote ourselves. So do check us out on Twitter. We are at Russ Football News. Russian Football News on Facebook, uh, Russian Football News for contact here, at Russ Football News Instagram. We've also got a YouTube channel. And, um, of course, we have our own personal accounts. So, uh, Toka, let's go with yours first. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Toka Thielade. That's uh, T-O-K-E-T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E. Perfect. And, Andrew, we haven't heard your uh, Twitter handle in a while, but uh, I'm, just for any new listeners, let's, let's put it out there again. Yeah, and I'm, I'm on Twitter, Andrew M-I-J Flint. That's perfect. And I am Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. That's 
So that's the end of the podcast. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us a like on uh, Facebook as well, like I said earlier. Um, if you can review the podcast on iTunes, I think you're able to do that. Do that. Thanks again to the uh, the World Football Index for hosting this podcast. And uh, we shall see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> 